Good morning. Well, as most of you know, we've been listening to Paul for weeks now, and he has been teaching us how to, to walk these past few chapters. And you'll remember by walk, Paul means living the Christian life. That is Paul's chosen metaphor, uses it over and over again, especially here in Ephesians, to talk about the way we live our Christian life. And he started all the way back in chapter 4, verse 1, when he turned from doctrine to duty, from beliefs to behavior, from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, you know, right thinking and now right living. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I urge you to walk. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, he encouraged us to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. Part of living that way, the way that we should live as Christians, means chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Generally speaking, we have out of our love for Christ, we have as Christians a willingness to put other people first. We have a willingness in our heart to put other Christians first, those in our church, uh, those in our home, those in our, the one in our marriage. And so in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, which we looked at last week, Paul describes submission in marriage, the submission of a wife to her loving husband. And then in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, Paul is going to describe the submission of a slave to his master. And now here today, here's where we are today in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul describes the submission of children to their parents. And so remember, this is all part of Paul telling us as Christians how to walk, how we should live the Christian life. And he gets specific with husbands and with fathers and with wives and with mothers and with children and parents. And he's going to get into uh, a relationship and the work that you do at work. He's going to cover all of this as he gets very, very practical. And it's clear in these four verses the children must obey and honor their parents. And secondly, it is clear that fathers have a very special role in that, that fathers must bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, I read a story about Jerry Faust, who was coach of the Notre Dame football team in the 1980s and one of his responsibilities as a coach was to be heavily involved of course in recruiting and bringing players into that program and a story was told about one particular occasion where he went to visit one of these top recruits and it was just this young man and his mother and he and someone else who was with him I suppose it was an assistant coach and they were in the house 
and uh, they had a, a good meeting with this young man and his mom. And then they were getting up to, to leave, and the mother went over and did something with uh, the stereo that was in the room. And the son said to his mother, don't touch that stereo, it's mine. And Coach Jerry Faust walked up to the young man, and he struck him in the ribs the way a lineman might strike you in the ribs. And he said, you should never talk to your mother like that. And he took the scholarship and walked out the door. Because he saw something, he saw something in those few minutes that told him that despite what a great football player this young man was, he didn't want him on his football team. And he looked at the young man and said, you're going to be a great football player, but I don't want you on my team. Obedient and respectful children are a bedrock of any healthy society. It is to be the standard in a Christian home. See, one of the things we do when we read God's word is we understand the way things ought to be. And we've talked about this before, and we all know this, that we have so many messages that are coming to us about what is right and what is true. And we certainly have messages that are coming to us about what a home should look like, what the family should look like. Here's what a mom should do, and here's what a dad should do, and here's what kids should do. Well, we need to take all of that and we need to see it through the lens of God's word. And as Christians say, God, what do you want in my family? God, what do you want for me, Eric Myers, as a, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a brother, as a coworker? as a coach, and on and on and on. God, what would you have me do? And sometimes, because the air we breathe is so counter-Scripture, we come across passages that, that are really striking and, and really run up against what we hear. And this might be one of those passages where we learn how important it is that children be obedient and respectful and how important it is that fathers, what an important role they play in bringing their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so Paul uh, briefly lays out the relationship between child and parent by saying, children must honor and obey their parents and fathers, we'll see, must not be a hindrance but a help. That is basically what Paul is going to say. And remember, all of Scripture is God-breathed that is useful for preaching and teaching and rebuking and correcting, training in righteousness, and so on. 
everything is important for us. So this is not just a message for uh, those of you who might have young children in your home. You know young children. You know parents of young children. There will be young children in and out of this church. You may have grandchildren. Someone may come to you and ask you what you think about parenting or children and on and on and on. So it's important for all of us to understand what God's word has to say about the home. So before we go any further, let's pause and let's pray. Father in heaven, through your word and by your spirit, will you teach us this morning? Our hearts are cold and our minds are dark without you. So we need you to come and teach us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In this text, Paul addresses the children in verses 1 through 3. And then parents, specifically fathers, in verse 4. So let's begin with what Paul has to say to children in verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul speaks directly to children. Now, we're all children, in a sense. Verse 4 will make clear that Paul has in mind young children who are in their parents' home. He speaks directly to these young children who are in their parents' home and under their parents' authority, which means because Paul is speaking to them directly that these children would have been present in a worship service, which is an important thing to note because today, in many churches, you wouldn't find children in a worship service. They would, be, they would be corralled somewhere else. They'd be in a kid's church or uh, a kid's ministry. And the idea is that they could have age-appropriate teaching, maybe, in those classes. Uh, and that they wouldn't be a distraction to the adults who are in a worship service worshiping uh, so that parents could be free to focus during a worship service and not have to worry about what little Billy is drawing on his notepad and so on. I'm not sure that's a good thing. In, in churches where I've pastored, we always wanted the children with us, and that's the model, frankly, in Scripture. Uh, they weren't somewhere else. They would have been with the church family because they are part of the church family. And so when they would receive this letter from Paul, and then Paul would read, read this letter to the church at Ephesus, that would include children, which is why Paul is directly addressing them here. They weren't in some classroom. They certainly weren't left at home. They would have been sitting there with mom and dad, and they would have been listening and they would have been watching, and they would have been formed by the word of God and the worship of his people. So children, Paul says. And here's how children ought to walk. What's a child's job? They must obey their parents. 
How should a child walk? They should obey their parents. That is very straightforward. That's, it's easy to understand. Difficult to do, but easy to understand. Children to submit to their parents in obedience. And they are to obey their parents, Paul says, in the Lord. That means that when children obey their parents, it is one of the ways that they honor Jesus. It is one of the ways that they love Jesus. Most children who are in Christian homes are professing Christians, and they love God, and they must understand that out of their love for God, they obey their parents. That's what it means to obey parents in the Lord. And next, Paul gives a couple reasons why. Why children must obey their parents. And the first is at the end of verse 1. Look with me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. Let's think about this. Children should obey their parents, for it is right and honoring to God for children to obey their parents parents. It does not say, children, obey your parents because they are always right. It doesn't say, obey your parents when you think they're right. You know, and if you don't think they're right, well, you would know best. So you're free to disobey. Nothing like that. He says, children, obey your parents because it is the right thing to do. In that truth, it is written on our hearts. Everyone knows this. That is why, without exception, in every culture of the world, with or without a Bible, it is an expectation that children should obey their mom and their dad. Even Jesus, who was God, obeyed his parents. Even Jesus submitted to his parents. We read that in Luke 2.51, where, you remember, upset Joseph and Mary found him after he'd been missing for three days. Can you imagine that? And they found Jesus, and it says that he went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus, God in the flesh, obeyed his parents and submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. That's remarkable. So that's the basic command and reason. Let's move on to verses 2 through 3, where now Paul quotes the Old Testament. He quotes from the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, 16. Here's the fifth commandment. You've probably memorized it. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what is Paul saying? It's another reason to obey. He's saying, children, if you honor and obey your parents, It'll go well for you. 
we've told and tell our kids this all the time. Son, or to my daughter, if you obey, I'm telling you, it's going to go well for you. If you don't obey, I'm telling you, it will not go well for you. I'll see to it that it will not go well for you. For your good. Because you need to learn that when you obey, it will go well. When you do not obey, it will not go well for you. So this is a, it's a promise here. Paul says this is the first commandment with a promise. That's striking. There's not a lot of that. Do this and this will happen. It is a promise. If you, to a child, if you, out of love for God, remember, in the Lord, if you, out of love for God, so I love God, that's what's in my heart, and so I honor and obey my parents, then it will go well for you. Proverbs picks up on this. Proverbs 4.10 says, Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs 10:27 The fear of the Lord prolongs life and the years of the wicked will be short. It will go well. Now, let's clarify. He doesn't say if children honor and obey their parents, it will go perfectly course not he doesn't say you'll never suffer of course not he doesn't say your life will go as planned he doesn't say you'll get everything you want that's not what he means by it will go well for you he says and I'm quoting it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. This is, anytime land is mentioned in the Bible, some of you know it can get sort of controversial what this means. The land in the Old Testament meant Israel, to the children of Israel, Moses was originally writing to. So the land was a physical place. It was Israel. And the promise was to the children of Israel. That's who Moses was originally writing to. For you, it means the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth. If children disobey and dishonor their parents, life will not go well, not now and not when they grow up. But if, by God's grace, as best they can, out of love for God, children obey and honor their parents, then God will bless them. Remember, out of love for God, this isn't just to get something, this isn't some formula, but out of love for God, this is a promise, out of love for God, children honor and obey their parents, then God will bless them. And take care of them, and they will live forever with him. If they obey their parents in the Lord.
I wonder how many of you remember being a, a teenager. Seems to be when this is toughest for children to obey their parents in the Lord. And I don't think that's anything new. It's true today. It's true when I was a teenager. It's true when you were a teenager. It's true when these characters in the Bibles, in the Bible, were teenagers. It's really strange. One of the things that that happens when a child becomes a teenager is that their intelligence skyrockets, or so they think. And I remember thinking this. I remember thinking, I don't know what's going on, but I'm way smarter than I used to be. And your parents, bless their hearts, they can't quite keep up. This is how you feel. This is how you feel as a teenager. My dad, looking back, he would say some of the craziest things to me. I can't remember all the things he said, but he would say some crazy things to me, and he would throw out sayings that they made no sense to me, and he never, he never explained them to me. I remember him telling me that I was, I was burning the candle at both ends. I still don't know what that means. I've never seen a candle that you can burn at both ends. Some of you, I guess, understand it. But he had all kinds of things like that that he was, and they just go right over my head. And I, I just remember thinking, Dad, you just, right, bless your heart. You're doing the best you can, but you really, you just, you just don't understand. You're just not sharp anymore. So, okay, tell me what you want me to do, but then I'm going to do what, I'm going to do what I think is right. Teenagers are, and we know this, teenagers are immature, they're growing. Their faith is small, can be very sincere, but their faith is small. And they need to hear that the more difficult it is to honor and obey their parents, the more they need grace, and the greater the opportunity to demonstrate their love for and faith in God. It's very similar to... Uh, as we've seen, this is why Sarah was, was so remarkable. It's very similar to when a wife submits to an imperfect husband because you can't do that unless you have faith in a great God. And the same is true for children at times. They will need to submit to their parents and honor and obey their parents. And they'll need to remember how good God is and how great God has been to them and out of love for God then to do what he calls them to do. So that covers children. And now Paul turns to the parents and specifically assuming that there is a mom and dad in church. There isn't always. There isn't always, especially today. Especially today. And it's one of the saddest things about our culture. And it's, in my opinion, the greatest epidemic we have is fatherlessness. Just no fathers. Fathers who aren't there, or fathers who are there, but they're not really there. It's, I think, the biggest problem in our society. But here Paul is writing to fathers, and it's such a problem because they're so important. Moms are so important, too. And scripture has so much to say, but we're just, he's dealing with fathers right now. That's, that's what it is. 
the parent who is ultimately responsible, if there is a mother and a father, the parent who is ultimately responsible, you know, is the father. He bears the ultimate responsibility. According to Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, God is looking for godly offspring. In homes, God is looking for godly offspring. Well, once you have kids who are a gift from God, Psalm 123, how will they become godly offspring? You have offspring. How will they become godly offspring? The, the kind of kids that honor and obey their parents, for example. Well, that's why Paul says what he says next in verse 4. This is how you get godly offspring. And in this verse, he says two things. First, he tells fathers what not to do, and then he tells fathers what to do. So he says, okay, dads, here's how you could hinder your children, and here's how you might help your children. Can't control them, but you can certainly be a hindrance or a help. Fathers want to be a help. So first, here's what fathers must not do. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this doesn't only apply to fathers, of course. Paul is not saying dads don't provoke your kids, moms go for it. <laughs> Maybe we wish. Moms and dads alike are, of course, capable of provoking our kids. So, so why fathers? Why fathers? Well, remember, the home is ordered. We just looked at this in chapter 5, the end of chapter 5. The home is ordered in such a way that the husband and father, he is the head of the house. He leads the home, which means the father will be taking a lot of initiative with the kids. At least the father should be. He bears the primary responsibility. He, this should not be something that he just delegates. He will be taking a lot of initiative with children. And as fathers take initiative in their home, here's first what they must not do. That's what Paul is saying here. And it's fascinating, isn't it? That of all the things Paul could say, to fathers not to do. I could come up with a long list of things that fathers should not do, things I've learned from experience and things that are clear in Scripture. Out of all the things, Paul's got a few verses here where he's going to address children and their parents, specifically their fathers, and of all the things he could say, Paul says, do not do this. Do not provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? It must be really important. To provoke means to speak or behave in a way that stirs something up. That's what provoke is, right? Some of you are, you know, good. I have a son who is, he can provoke like no one I've ever seen. He's, he, you're trying to figure out how to have eight people in a suburban that seats eight people and have him not sit next to anybody. And you're trying to figure out the math, and it's not working because he will provoke whoever he's next to. So it means you speak in a way or you behave in a way, and it's going to stir something up in someone else. And in this case, 
Paul's talking about fathers who may provoke anger. Remember, children don't have the maturity and ability that, that we have as fathers, which is why children are not commanded to not provoke their dads. That's not the command. No. The assumption is that as godly fathers, we can control ourselves. We're older. We're more mature. So the command is for us. Children are easily provoked. It doesn't take much to start a fire. You ever had a burn pile and you, you burn everything down and then you come out the next morning and there's no more fire, but all you got to do is take a rake and maybe move it around just a bit and expose under the ash those hot coals, right? And now you've got a fire again. But kids are like those hot coals under this thin coating of ash. And it doesn't take a lot. They're young. They're immature. They don't have as much faith. So fathers have to be very careful. So fathers have an interaction with their children, and, and afterwards they see their children may be angry or discouraged. That may not be on dad, but because of this verse in Ephesians, fathers would be wise to examine themselves. If for no other reason than this verse right here. Maybe a father sinned against his son or daughter. Maybe they were quick to, I've certainly done these things so many times. Maybe they were quick to speak and slow to listen. Maybe they cut them off. Maybe they lost their temper. Maybe they showed favoritism. Maybe they embarrassed a child. So maybe there was sin, and in that case, a father should apologize, and a father should ask forgiveness. Maybe it wasn't sin. Maybe it was just folly. Maybe you were just foolish. Maybe there is a way that you can talk to this child, but it doesn't really work to talk to this child that way. You know, we figure those things out and I blew it. That's foolish. There's a verse in Colossians where Paul says almost the same thing in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Same thing we have here in Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Isn't that interesting? It's the same problem provoking children in the same in the same places fathers are provoking their children and some will respond to that in anger and others colossians 3:21 in discouragement and that's been my experience with kids with my kids if i don't handle one of them well and i provoke them some of my kids will become angry and others, I could do the same thing, and they don't become angry, they get discouraged. Different frames. Bottom line, Paul says, do not provoke. God's leading of us is firm. He doesn't let us off the hook. But his tone is kind and patient and tender. God is firm with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. God doesn't sweep anything under the carpet. God doesn't just let us off the hook. But God is also so patient with us. God is also so kind to us. And God is tender with us. And fathers should emulate that. 
So that's what a father must not do. He must not provoke his children. And then instead, here's what a father must do, verse 4, second half, but, but rather do this, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pull that apart, one phrase at a time. First, Paul says, bring them up, which means to physically and spiritually nourish children, to prepare them to live one day as an independent, God-honoring adult. That's the goal. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Bring them up, Paul says. How? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So two words, discipline and instruction. This is not, this word is not corrective discipline. It's usually what we think of when we hear the word discipline, which corrects bad behavior. This is formative discipline, which forms good behavior. The same word is used in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for, and here's the word discipline as it's in, translated here, but it's the word training. It's the word training in 2 Timothy 3.16. We want to form good behavior in children. And so we teach our kids how they should live. This is how a Christian lives in this world. That's what it means to bring them up in this discipline. But, and this is a big problem, and this is why the instruction is necessary. Parents don't want to merely form good behavior. This is really important. This is why it's discipline and instruction. Discipline is, this is how you should behave. This is not how you should behave. This is what is good behavior. This is, how you, this is what it looks like to, to please God and to honor God. These are the right things to do. These are the wrong things to do. And that comes pretty naturally for most parents. But it's not just discipline. It's also instruction. Because if you don't have instruction, if you're not helping them to understand why and what's behind all of this, and it's just, here's how you should behave, then that's just outward, right? That's just outward behavior modification, which is not a good thing. It is possible, you know this, it is possible to have children who know all the Bible verses, who read the Bible, who have all the right answers and do all the right things, but whose hearts are far from God. We don't want that. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the famous pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia and the 40s and the 50s, he once said this in a sermon when describing, he was describing, here's what a town would look like if Satan took over. And it's not the description you'd expect. He said, here's what it would look like, in his opinion, if Satan took over a town. If Satan took over Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed. Think, wait a minute, where's he going with this? So hear him out. 
if Satan took over Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed. Pornography would be banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There'd be no swearing. The children would all say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. That'd be the worst. That is why instruction is necessary. Discipline, training in righteousness is dangerous, I would say, without instruction. A how, this is how you should live. A how without a why prepares kids only to comply. A how with a why prepares children to live and die. Instruction is so important. And you know the answer. We obey. That's the how. Why? Why? This is so important. Why do we honor the Lord? Why do we obey the Lord? Is it not out of our love for God? See, without that instruction, we train children to obey and honor and do the right things so that you'll get something. Do we honor and obey the Lord so that he will love us? Is he standing arms crossed? You better obey me and you better honor me so that I will accept you and love you. No, that's not what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches us that we have been adopted into his family, that he is our heavenly father, that he has given us all things, that he has accepted us in Christ, that he loves us. And we spend three chapters in Ephesians meditating on how great the love of the father is for us. And now we're ready for verse chapters four through six. Now, God, how do you want us to live? What does it look like to obey you and to honor you out of love for God? He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our obedience. He has been good to rescue us from our sin. And the more we understand this, the more we are provoked to love and good works. The goal in parenting, of course, is not polite, sweet, well-mannered, religious children to which I've often said good because my children are often not that the goal is not children who look good the goal is Christians who are good the goal is not children who listen the goal is not children who look like the kind of person that loves Jesus the goal is children who grow up to love Jesus. We've got a, a child, he shall remain nameless. Won't say his name. But we all, we've always said this, he cleans his room like a Pharisee. You know what it means when someone cleans their room like a Pharisee? 
But what was the problem with the Pharisees? The Pharisees, well, they were this. What were, they're exactly what we're talking about. It was all behavior modification. It was all the outside of the cup, right? Let's clean the outside of the cup, but the inside, you know, don't, don't look there. Whitewashed tombs. Looks really nice on the outside, but you get inside and it's just dead bones. That was the problem with the Pharisees, right? They did all the right things, but there was no love for God. There was no love for God in their hearts. So this child, who again, shall remain nameless. Son, you need to clean your room. You need to clean your room. We learned this a long time ago. You need to clean your room to mom's standard. That's what we have to say. Because cleaning his room, like he has a totally different understanding of what cleaning his room is. So you need to clean your room to mom's standard. Okay, he goes up there. He's gone for a while. Comes back in like 15 minutes. And his room was a disaster 15 minutes ago. And I'm not an idiot. So I'm thinking, there's, how could you possibly have cleaned that room to your mom's standard in 15 minutes? There's just no way. So I know that going in. And I know this kid. So I go up there and I look. And when I walk in his room, wow, it's impressive. I mean, all this stuff that I saw, all these toys and all the sports equipment and all the garbage, it's gone. And I might just turn around and walk out. But you know what I've learned to do? He's a little Pharisee. So I get down on my knees, and you know what I do? What do I do? Where do I go look? I go look under his bed. And I find that somehow he has managed to take everything in that room and he has managed to cram it under his bed and in the corner. Now, you know the answer to this. Is his room actually clean? No, his room is not clean. What is he? He's just, he's just presenting well. Look what I did. And he's doing that so that he can go and do, you know, whatever it is that he wants. But he hasn't actually taken care of everything. And most of us would say, I mean, you don't want a child to grow up and live their life like that. I mean, better to have a child who is like the, the messy room without rotten food under the bed. That would, be, that would be better. And you want your child out of honor and respect for mom and dad, right? Clean the room. Clean the room to mom's standard. So fathers, what is our role? We're reminded fathers bring up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, in conclusion, what's, what's needed is faithful children and faithful parents. Isn't that what Paul's getting at here, faithful, faithful. Children who, in the Lord, children who out of love for God, honor and obey their parents. And fathers who, out of love for God, seek not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And isn't it encouraging? It's been encouraging to me you know, I've got kids who are grown and out of the house, and I've got one as young as nine. So it's like there's parenting that's pretty much been done, it's, or it's changed a lot. And then there's a lot of parenting still to do with the nine-year-old. And you know, there are a lot of things I would do differently. 
with my 21-year-old. If I could go back, there's a lot of things I would do differently. I'm so thankful and I'm so glad that, that God's call is not for perfect parents. God doesn't need perfect parents. It's a good thing because there are no perfect parents. Our call is not to be perfect. Our call is to be faithful, to be faithful. And I can be imperfect, and I can really make a mess of things sometimes. And I can still be faithful because I can apologize, can ask forgiveness, I can pray, I can change. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, I can entrust my children to him, knowing that he's called me to be faithful, he's given me some work to do, but ultimately God is in control. Ultimately, it's God's work. And so we 